Good morning. We've been working with the concept of dependent origination. And I've been requesting that all of those involved with that introspection uh, study the writings of Buddhidasa. It's important to understand how to free ourselves, how to liberate ourselves from stress and suffering and unhappiness. And it's not necessarily about, just about, coming to Dharma talks or sitting on the cushion. There's some very basic understandings that you need to work because being unhappy, not smiling at life, is just no fun. You know, it sucks. <laughs> so, this Sutta, this teaching, setting in motion the wheel of the Dharma. So before we get into that, who is it that has studied dependent origination? Okay, what's what is what do you, what can you tell me about dependent origination? Okay, tell me what <laughs> tell me what you know, and then we'll both know a little more. Buddha Dasa gives a really good example about um, not putting meaning into things. So the one that really stuck with me is if you cut your hand and there's pain, there's natural pain there, and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. You don't add anything else to it. It's just notice the body is responding in pain. So therefore you would have physical pain, but you would not have suffering and physical pain. You wouldn't have mental pain and mental suffering. Yeah, okay. What is the doorway to dependent origination? What, what is the first instruction to be aware of? Why, why does suffering and dependent origination occur? Ignorance. Ignorance as condition, it starts the whole wheel turning, right? Ignorance of what? There's the second arrow. Like, you already had the experience. Don't add the second arrow. Mm-hmm. Would this be what Maya said and what dependent origi- origination is saying? Does this tie into the idea of not adding to it by adding the second arrow? Well, what it, what it all ties into is how to liberate or free ourselves from suffering. It's a it's a schematic or a roadmap to doing that, and um, just telling people or suggesting to people not to be unhappy and to not stress and to <coughs> and to um, find happiness in your moment is not enough if you don't give them the basic concepts that will allow them to practice that. Just saying, don't worry, be happy, doesn't work. At least not here anyway. You know, some places it might, but not here. So, 
Ignorant of what? Yes, Mark. First of all, welcome home, Mark and, and Kathy. Welcome. Good to have you back. Uh, reality is constructed in our minds. So if we don't see how our perception of reality is constructed, then it's just going to develop based on the patterns that we have accumulated over time. And we don't see that it is um, not... Um, um, essentially real or permanent or uh, that it cannot be all we we don't see that it can be altered if we don't see the nature of its underlying um, construction okay all right I've got a shorter answer than that I've got a shorter answer than that, that I'm sure there's there was a nothing one. wrong with that but there's a shorter answer and the short answer is being ignorant of the Four Noble Truths. Which is what you said. You just didn't say it that way. Okay. So being ignorant of the Four Noble Truths is ignorance. And that's how the whole wheel starts to turn. And that's how mistakes are made and errors are made in judgment and also in who we are, who we think we are, and who we think other people are. So it's important when we hear that to, to emphasize, first of all, just learning the Four Noble Truths. So who knows the Four Noble Truths? Yes. <laughs> Would you share? Sure, I'll share. Oh, would you? Yes, I'll share. Okay, keep that smile now. Okay. okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the first noble truth is that their uh, life is inseparable from suffering. The second noble truth is the cause of suffering is craving. The third noble truth is that there is cessation from suffering. And the fourth noble truth is um, the pathway to cessation is the eightfold path. Okay. Now go back to your first statement about what is suffering. Oh, what, what did you say again? I said life is inseparable from suffering. Okay. Now that sort of contradicts what you said about the third noble truth. Right? Mm. Um, okay. I actually got that from Philip Moffat's book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing with tell, tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so my understanding. Oh, tell me. No, that that's a common mistake. People think that the four noble truths are about the truth that there is inherent suffering in the world. There are certainly instigators to suffering if you are ignorant of the Four Noble Truths. That you will buy into appearances mm -hmm. that 
will make you think that life is suffering. These are the things we work with because we don't understand the Four Noble Truths. Because if not, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do anything about it. We would say life is suffering and, you, and then you die. Well, from my understanding, what the Buddha was saying is that the self-induced mental formation suffering is what you can cease. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, you know, hurricanes or the pain that you endure daily without of your control, but the self-induced mental suffering. What happens when we liberate ourselves from suffering? That's a promise in the, in the Four Noble Truths, isn't it? Freedom from suffering. I think there's... Yeah. I think that there is a promise, a truth in this. That's why it's called the Noble Truths. That if you practice and study these concepts in your daily life, because one of the inherent truths about why we suffer so much is impermanence. Yeah? But once we understand impermanence and we understand the physics of reality, then we, don't, we no longer have any suffering at all pertaining to that particular fact, whether it's mental or physical. You know, so in other words, mental would be running out of money in your bank account. Physical would be looking in the mirror and watching the wrinkles grow on your face. Yeah? Two, two different concepts, but the practice and understanding of the dynamic of samsara helps us to understand things that go on, not because you're you or you're bad and, and you deserve this and this is going to come to you and make you unhappy, but it is the wisdom and the knowledge that says this is a part of life. It's like getting sand in your swim trunks if you go to the beach, right? You expect to get sand in your, in your crouch. You don't whine and cry <laughs> and, <laughs> and pull your pants down. You, you understand that that just happens. So you go find a shower and you rinse off and that's it. So it's the same thing when you encounter things that you can't change, like change itself. When I understand that this happens, not just to me, but to everybody in the room, it's just a natural occurrence. And I stop allowing it to impact on my happiness, my peace, my stillness. It no longer bothers me because I realize that it is something that we all have to go through. It's just a part of the nature of living. There's a lot of people who are afraid of death. 
it's, it pains them to talk about it. Yeah? But guess what? You're going to die. So it directs my consciousness, my awareness to a different topic, a different subject. So if I know that I'm going to die and I know that death bothers me, then why think about death and dying? Why not think about life and living? So it helps me to reconstruct or re, re, restruct, re, recondition the way I look at things and look at what's possible and not what is inevitable. And when you start to spend your time in joyful existence, being happy and in touch with every moment of life, every breath of life, every relationship you have. When it is time to leave, it doesn't bother you. Because you've lived your life fully, you've loved everyone who's come on your path, you didn't spend any time arguing or being fearful or being worried or being depressed or being hateful. You spent each moment worshiping and appreciating the many relationships that have been sent our way to just spend some time with us. Just think about how lonely it is when you're by yourself. When you have no friends. When no one cares whether you smile or frown. And then imagine what life is like when you are surrounded by people who care about you and people who respect you. People who are happy that you're here. That you don't have to do anything to promote that happiness in others. They're just happy that you're here and that you're smiling. What a wonderful life that is. And when you live your life that way, you have no time to concern yourself about what is going to happen to me when I don't have existence the way I think it is. What's going to happen? You don't think about what's going to happen when the curtain comes down. Because you're so busy enjoying the drama and the play. So in the Sutta, it explains that birth is suffering, aging is, aging is suffering, illness is suffering, death is suffering. Union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. Not getting what one wants is suffering. Association with the five aggregates of being and clinging is suffering. But we can see by that that none of those things contain the evil that we construct in this teaching. You know, the, there are people who are turned off by the ism of Buddha because it's, it's always talking about suffering. 
Not joy, not happiness, always about suffering. What, what is this suffering stuff? What is he saying to me is not to worry about it. Just be happy. And then he says in the second noble truth that there is an origin to this. So right away he puts a a time separation between what we expect, suffering all the time, and he says there's an origin to suffering, which means it's not with us all the time. It's only with us when we violate the physics of reality, when we have expectations about life that life can't give us. Like, everybody should like me. You know, I'm a good person, so everybody should be good to me. I've got a good friend sitting right in front of me that teaches me that all the time. She, she makes me understand when I make mistakes. And <laughs> and, and I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> so, we've debunked the fact that suffering is contained in reality and is inescapable. The good news is that there is an escape. There is a freedom from suffering. And what is the origin of suffering? No. Ignorance. We want Ignorance of what? Uh, the truth. We, and the we truth? don't want to be what it is. Like if you want to live forever or... <laughs> I heard it over here. <laughs> Craving and desire is the or- origin. When I embrace craving and desire, I cause suffering. I I want things to be the way I want things to be, not the way they are. Mm -hmm. And of course, if we were selling wishes, that would be fine, but we're not selling wishes. We're selling absolutes. We're talking about ultimate truths. And The ultimate truth is that the reason there is suffering, the reason that all of these, this information in the first noble truth are built on top of and constructed by craving. Not that things change, not that 
I'm not hoping that my next project will bring me happiness. I have to have a certain desire and energy for that in order for me to fulfill my task in creating it. But I also am not delusional that simply because I have made this, I have constructed this, I have lent to the support and the establishment of it, that I'm going to be satisfied and pleased by what the outcome is. Because I realize that the outcome doesn't have anything to do with me by myself, but it has to do with me and everyone else. Everyone else. Deepak Chopra once said in a book, one of the many books that he wrote, that when you don't accept the moment, You struggle against the whole universe because it was the whole universe who helped create the moment, including me and you. So, we have to deconstruct, weed out, eliminate craving everywhere we find it. One of the songs you sing from Hong Shur, right? His craving is the builder of this house. Not the aggregates. Not life. Not happiness. Not joy. Not pleasure. Not peace. But craving. And if If we are mindful, if we carry the reminder with us everywhere we go, that we don't leave home without this reminder, that the only reason, I'll say that again, the only reason that we suffer is because of craving. Now, what does this do? How does this help us to know that? Because as soon as I know that I'm suffering, I know that there's craving. Okay. I know that there's craving. And I know that all I have to do is find it and eliminate it. I don't have to struggle with other people. I don't have to change other people's minds. I don't have to convince other people of anything. I have to find the craving embedded in my intention and eliminate it. And the truth, the noble truth, says that when you eliminate the craving, you eliminate the suffering. 
not making anyone else care about you any more than they do or don't. But finding the toxicity within my own heart and eliminating. So we can see right there where we have wasted a lot of our life by changing out here, moving the couch over to this corner, <laughs> throwing this chair out and getting a new rug. Oh, I'll be happy then. Oh. Okay. That is the promise, the, the noble truth. It says, suffering has an origin, which also means it has an ending. The third noble truth is that there is cessation of suffering. And that cessation, that ending, that stopping, that elimination has to be realized. It's an experience. It's, it's self-directed and it's all on me. If I've got the suffering, if I've got the stress, then... I have to find and discover the suffering within, I mean the suffering, this, the craving within me and eliminate the craving for or against um, since craving for existence I want to be beautiful I want to be rich, craving for existence. I want to have friends, craving for existence. I want to be born in the immaterial world. I want to be an angel. I want to be a god, craving for existence. Craving for non-existence. I don't want to be ugly in my rebirth. I want to be born in America, reborn in America. Eh? And what is the road, the path to all of this? The Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Path. That the way leading to freedom, the practice is the path, the path. What is the path? The Noble Eightfold Path. What is the first? Bright view, bright view. Looking at things correctly, having the being the friend that I want everyone else to be. Showing how to be in relationship. You know, I, Panywadi and I work a lot with hospice. And our brain just went dead. 
but I'm still smiling, right? I'm not, I'm not unhappy about that either. I'm, I'm glad it works half the time. Oh, man. Um, well, it'll come back. Anybody want anything to say? Anybody? Yes. Uh, really due to Buddhism, having not studied uh, uh, pendant origination, I want to break it apart. I want to pendant origination. Origination of what? Is it origination of suffering that we're studying? It's origination of how suffering and life establishes itself from nothing. The conditions that are necessary to make this happen. That's worse. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not about anything because it's, it requires conditions to be met in order for it to manifest. So, We think about, we talk, there's a lot of discussion in some schools and in some places about rebirth. And it's built upon the culture that was present when the Buddha was just an ascetic. He wasn't it wasn't Buddhism. He was just an ascetic teaching truth. But the established worship at that time was Hinduism. And they taught reincarnation. But the Buddha didn't teach reincarnation. As a matter of fact, he said there, there's no consciousness that goes from place to place and body to body. So, what happens or what does turn this wheel between birth and death? Are they talking about a conventional truth? That there's a mother in a womb and there's a casket in a grave or a crematorium? No, they're talking about how we wake up in the morning and we have a happy face. We're standing in front of the mirror and we're saying, today's going to be a great day. I just feel it in my bones. I just know it. just want to sing a song and skip. And then the first person I meet <laughs> has different plans and different intentions for my day. So what have I done? What does that demonstrate to us? It demonstrates that that person that I was when I woke up is dead. And there's a whole new person, a grouchy, growly person who has been born. That's the way it works. That's dependent origination origination of who you are right now. Just upon conditions that this house, this personality is built on. 
In other words, if I want a peach tree, I can't plant persimmon seeds. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. I've got I've to do it. I've got to do this thing right. I've got to cultivate what I want. This is where we start to understand about the power of love. Yes. So I'm going to break this down into something that I see daily. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, at school, I get a lot of the kids who are not necessarily placed in my separate setting class, but are just uniquities. And they'll come in and visit for a day, and a teacher will say, I just can't deal with this today. So-and-so is just doing everything they can to drive me and the kids. And I just take a moment and pause and go, you know what? Did you come to work today hoping I suck and piss someone off? Mm. Did you come saying I'm going to bring my very worst? Because neither did this kid. Mm. And when you can give them the latitude to say, maybe they're having a bad hair day like you did yesterday, mm. maybe you can give them the freedom to understand that you may be the one person who can turn that around instead of letting them turn that around for you? Is that the kind of thing that you're saying? Is that you're kind of allowing everything around you to be the justification for your own suffering versus just saying this is just how it is right now and I can maintain that smile on my face and let it go. It's not suffering. It just is. There you go. It's I'm the one that chooses to suffer or not suffer. There's nothing inherent in reality, in every, in every object that's external to me. There's nothing there that brings me toxicity and suffering. It's just an object and a subject. Like a cause and effect. Well, what we do is we take away the need for it to be what I want it to be. And I am able <coughs> to accept the truth that pre is presented. We're always running around talking about, I want the truth. Tell me the truth. I want the truth. But when the truth is presented to us, we want to change it. You can't handle the truth. We want to change it. We want to make it something else. I want everyone to care. And the truth is, everyone doesn't care. Right? Everyone doesn't care. Now, you happen to be one of the ones in your work environment who cares about everybody. The children that are there, and also the adults that are there. You care about everybody, and that's why you're so careful in your speech and how you work with them. That you take the time to give them a different point of view that, that makes them go, yeah, you know, I never thought about it that way. You're right. I, if, I, if I worked with this instead of my mind, this, would, this whole thing would be different. And that's caring. That's caring for everybody. That's understanding the organic existence of everything in front of me. Sing the song today about being stardust. 
we, we talk about the truths of coming into a room and leaving with all of the substances of everyone else who was in the room because we're exchanging atoms and molecules all the time. But if we're not careful, we are also establishing toxicity if we come in being toxic. That's why it's no fun being around an angry person unless you have so much love in you that it's like kryptonite to the anger. And that's a part of the remedy. That's a part of the development. That's a part of what people miss when their partner or their friend dies. Because they will miss to a high degree, a great degree, that love, that acceptance, that willingness to instruct, not in a pushy, I know more about it way than you, but in a way that says, let me tell you something about how this really is if you really want to know. If you really want to know why I can smile every day in spite of things that are going on, in spite of Syria and, and, and America and the border and the wall and all of that, I can still smile every day. I can still care every day. I can still want to be a part of tomorrow, the dynamic of tomorrow, every day. Because I have this light inside of me. I refuse to allow anger and ill will to infect me. As a matter of fact, one of the suttas says, the mind will not be infected. And I will start with the one in front of me, the one that's given me so much crap. I will start with that person and I will wish love and compassion and kindness starting with them and then spreading out to everyone else. And you see, if we practice the practice, we don't have time to hate and feel sorry and be, be disappointed. We just don't have time because we're too busy loving each other. So, Suffering is optional. That's the message. You don't have to suffer. Yeah, we see it. Yeah, people do it. Yeah, right in the Buddhist communities, people suffer. Not here. <laughs> but those other places. Okay? But suffering is optional. Suffering is the flag. Suffering is the that aha moment, as soon as I know suffering, it's not that a bad guy's in front of me make, making me feel this way. It's that, whoa, I've been infected. You know, it's like sneezing or coughing. You know that you've been infected. You go get the thorough flu. Go get the Dharma book <laughs> and sit down and read. And what am I not doing here? Oh, craving. There's craving somewhere in something that, I, that I've embraced this morning. 
Something that I want. I want something. I'm, I have a longing for something. I want the world to be different today. I want the world to be better today. I want the world to be my world today. I want everyone to be my friend today. Longing. Wanting things to be the way they are not. That's not mindful. Mindfulness says that I accept the present moment just as it is. That I confront the present moment with my hands in my pockets so that I have no intention of changing, rearranging, displaying things differently. I accept it just as it is and I know that in that acceptance of that object, I will find treasure. I go in it with that attitude. I will find the treasure here because there's nothing more present in the moment than treasure. Why? Because it's always a surprise. It's always Christmas. You guys want to shake the box all the time. No, I just want to wait and open mine. Might be a pony inside. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yes, ma'am. So I know that you had planned to go further than that today, but I think it's really uh, important for us for this week or maybe this whole month or maybe this whole year, to just work with that one uh, right view about craving. Because some people do think that life is suffering mm -hmm. or that suffering is um, inherent in life, and that's a wrong view. Yeah, true. If that's the view you have, then you have an excuse that allows suffering to be in the mind and remain. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard to uproot it if you feel it has a right to be there. It's the same thing I heard. I listened to your talk while I was gone. I mean, when I came back, I listened to it last night. My and talk? Yeah, that you gave last week while I was gone. Oh. And somebody said anger has a place, that there is a time for anger. And as long as we do, there is not a basis for uprooting it. And that's a wrong view. Mm. So if we didn't work on anything this week, but whenever there is suffering, to look at that and recognize that I am manufacturing suffering. I'm making up suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, there is an event going happening for sure, but I choose to brand it as suffering, to see it as suffering, to experience it as suffering because it's not what I want. And want somebody else to fix it. And want, right, and, and you the cause of it. If we uproot just that one notion and just work on that alone this week, our lives will be transformed. 
then we won't get mad when somebody's not perturbed because we're perturbed. And we won't get upset with people as if they don't see the seriousness of something because they're not angry or crying or wallowing or fearful. It will change the way we meet life. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm glad we didn't go beyond the first point today. Did I do good? Yes, you did. <laughs> you know, we, we really need to stay. And I say that because you come up on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday for an hour. But I'm here. All day long. And so that's all I'm working with. I'm just putting everybody on notice. <laughs> it was Panya Deepa. We're starting with that. Whenever you can identify this is suffering, stop and know that it comes from yourself and not from other people. Stop and know that it's not because of the situation that's happening, but how I choose to relate to it. That's what I'm saying. And that's all I'm talking about this week. I don't care what problem you bring to me. I don't care what attitude. I don't care <laughs> what's happening. I don't care if the heat goes off or the sky falls in. This week, if anyone is experiencing suffering, just know you made it up. That's all. There is an event. There is something happening. But whether... It's suffering for me. I decide that. And you will find a power in your life that will transform things for you. And the first noble truth, I like to call it ennobling, because it changes our character. It changes how we carry ourselves. So it's like ennobling. It's an, it's an empowering you know, truth, I like it like that, is right view. So whenever we're suffering, Google, start Googling right view and um, see where we have wrong view and then just move to the right view and, and it will change life. I mean, you don't need, you don't, you don't need teachers, you know, just your own experience will tell you whether you are right or not. If you're suffering, you know you got wrong. Wrong. Wrong view. Craving a different outcome. And a good antidote for that is to cultivate loving kindness, appreciation, and gratitude. Appreciation and gratitude will uproot dissatisfaction. Yes, Mark. Um, one challenge that I find myself having is seeing the difference between unavoidable pain and manufactured suffering. Being able to tell when I've taken something that's just natural, it is what it is, and then creating something that's avoidable uh, and just a byproduct of my wrong view. So Kathy dies. There is pain there. You know, my wife has died, uh, and there's going to be pain at what point does that natural, unavoidable pain become manufactured suffering where I'm just 
piling on in a way that's not useful for for me or her or anyone else. Uh, and, and I see that in uh, physical experiences as well as medical, me, uh, mental experiences where I see it. And I go, well, is that natural? Is that normal? Is that wholesome? Or have I taken it too far? I, I struggle frequently to see when I've stepped over the line and created something that's unwholesome. First of all, why are you killing Kathy all? <laughs> she was right there, you know, and uh, <laughs> sorry about that, hon. Okay. First of all, you got two parts for the whole. One is mental and one is physical. So one of the things to do would be to look at the situation and see whether it's because you stubbed your toe that you're in pain or whether it's just something in your head. And if it's something in your head, absolutely, it's your creation. If it's something in your toe, but you're dealing with it in the head, that's your creation too. Um, should you suffer if the pony dies? I mean, we're not going to kill off Kathy. Should you suffer if the pony dies? No. You say, well, well, how do I make this real? It's natural to grieve, right? It's only natural to grieve until you accept the fact that your pony died. And then there's no more grief. Because you accept the fact that the pony died and you realize that that's what ponies do. And if I wanted something to live longer than me, then I would have married a turtle. <laughs> or a bonsai tree. Yeah? All right? But if I am working with things that don't have a long lifespan, and I, I just want them to last longer than me, but then there's no guarantee that they should or could or would, then... As opposed to grieving and being angry, I accept. Because why not? Just last week, John's pony died. And two weeks ago, my friend up the street, their dog died. And way across town, and someone who I briefly know, their wife died. Well, if death occurs all around us, why am I asking it not to happen to me? I'm just like everybody else. You see, and when I start to bring that understanding to myself that I am no more privileged than everyone else who has had the same experiences. I didn't ask for it when it happened to them. I'm just asking for it when it happened to me. But because I have the view that it happens to everybody, I stop acting like a privileged person. And I accept the fact that this goes with the turf. And I begin to appreciate and have gratitude for the fact that my pony, my dog, my wife, 
thought enough about me to stay with me and put up with my crap. And the, probably the reason that they died sooner than they did was because of me. <laughs> you know, I stopped marrying and I chose the life of a monastic because one of my wives told me I wear people out. I'm a I'm high maintenance. <laughs> so I figured I had to better get into some place that, you know, I stopped killing people off. So be nice. That's what realization is all about. You see, remember he said that mine is cheap. So if I was married, I would be reading and meditating on the sutta suffering is born from those who are dear so that my mind could line up with a certain truth, so that at the time that I need that truth to operate in my life, I'm so full of it that it can operate. But if I'm not full of it, then I'm going to operate from a deficiency, and I'm going to experience pain to the degree I'm deficient of the fullness of the realization of that truth. You see, And so that's how it is about everything. And that's why people should focus on, on what scares them or, you know, where they have difficulty. You don't have to try to master the whole Dhamma, just that one part where I'm suffering, you know, or where I would feel that something was, uh, would make me sad. Like some people, I can lose things. I know we can't always win, so we can win and we can lose. But some people can't stand to lose anything. It'd be devastating. That's why some of them jump out the building if they lose their job or if they lose their, their money or whatever because they can't, they can't deal with the thought of, of, a be, of losing something or being a failure. But, you know, you can't always win, and I know that. So if I try something and I lose, well, I did my best just to make sure you did your best. That's it. That's all you can do. And that truth is real to me. But there may be something else, I can't think of what it is right now, that's not real to me. Like, oh, like expecting people to work really hard at their practice. Maybe that's one that's <laughs> not so, <laughs> you know, especially if they say they want to come here and live together, you know, and then every day act like, I don't know what, you know. But that's one I need to work on. I'm going to work on that starting. Well, that's a nougat right there, right? <laughs> I'm a, I'm, no, I'm really, I'm going to stop working. I'm going to stop having expectations about around that. You know? Good. Good. I, I am, because that does cause me suffering. That's one of the things, few things that cause me suffering, is that, you know, living in community with people and, and you see and have the same thoughts and behaviors Week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. It gets old, you know. But that's because I'm looking and I have an expectation. So give up expectations and I won't suffer. There you go. And that's it. But it's almost like, you know, to, to that you're referring to, it almost feels to me, I mean, the, the, the idea or the reality that suffering comes from those that are dear to you, uh, that, that is just undeniable. But it, it almost feels like the, the, the end game or the end point, once you fully realize that, is if, again, for instance, if someone dear to you dies, if you fully 
understand and are living the reality of that sutta, well, then not only is there no suffering, but there's no pain. Because you, you, you recognize that you're clinging or you are attaching, and that if you fully, you know, um, if you fully, um, uh, you know, live that truth that someone very close to you, very dear to you could die, and because you understand that so fully, there would be no suffering, there would be no pain. And I guess as I look at that, I go, God, that just, that just feels unnatural. Even though that feels like where we're going with that sutta. Well, it, it feels unnatural because that's where your mind is right now. That's where your cultural construct is. Where if, you're, if it was in a different place, it wouldn't feel that way. I've had that experience, you know. And so I know that you don't have to suffer when a loved one dies, you know because I had a direct experience. So I've realized something. I've had a realization of something. And, and so that one, that particular one, I know, I know from direct experience, and it wasn't unnatural. It was just as natural as suffering. You know, it's just a matter of, of, of laying in, being able to be in what is comfortable for you. You know, it's, um, you know, if you had a failure in your life and you stayed in and you covered your head and didn't want to go out and, you know, and you just kept uh, rolling this little over in your mind, I lost, I lost, I lost, I lost, I lost. And, and then one day you decide, yeah, that was then, this is now, I will get up and go on, and you get up. It's the same way with everything. When the mind changes, then you can function. And so if you've been changing your mind this whole time, so that when the circumstance occurs, it is uh, diminished in its capacity to over overtake you, to overtake your mind. And you could just deal with the reality of it. You know? But you, you can't handle the big ones until you can handle the little ones. You know, you gotta start little by little. You know, am I going to be upset because somebody who said they were going to meet with me at 2 is not here at 2 and it's 2 or 2.05? Or am I going to be upset because um, something I was expecting um, didn't come the day it was supposed to come? You know, or that something I was expecting is not coming at all? You know, how, how do I deal with these little things? And when I can handle little things, now I can find I can ha apply the same mind to bigger things, to bigger things, to bigger things. And then when the big thing comes, I'm prepared for it because my muscles have been exercised by reason of use. But if they haven't been, then when that big thing comes, I'm totally overcome. Or even when that little thing comes, you know. So this mind training, it is mind training. It is mind training. It is mind training, and we have to train the mind. The mind's trained in a certain way right now. Society, you know, we let society train our mind. We let ignorant thinking train our mind. But now we train our mind, and he, he starts with right view. What is the right way to think about this? And just keep thinking about it that way, thinking about it that way, and after a while something shifts in your paradigm, and that's the way you think about it. Yeah. Or if you do have to cry, weep it endures for a night, 
where joy comes in the morning. That's, that's, you know, you can take that. You know, you can cry over it one night or you can cry over it one year. I know a lady who's still grieving uh, about her mother dying 10 years ago. You know, really. And she calls herself a practitioner. I'm like, what are you practicing exactly? <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's really. That's so, so we have to go from beyond intellectually studying this to putting it into practice around the things that scare us, around the things, you know, that we encounter in our daily life that torment us around the things that create our dissatisfaction. And if we just work on those little things this week, we'll find that nobody controls our world but us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you. Thank you very much for your talk. It's really uh, touching me. The two things I'm taking, what you're saying about suffering being optional and what you're saying about uh, suffering being empowering. I'm from Africa and suffering, you face it mm. daily. Mm. And last week before I came, I worked with uh, NGO leaders, uh, coaching them and uh, I was with this guy and uh, the power of the empowering nature of suffering. He was saying in the work that he does, he does, he deals with uh, orphans. Mm -hmm. And at times they would find a baby sucking from his or her dead mother because mm -hmm. of the violence. Mm -hmm. And because of the empowering nature of suffering, these guys are able through not attaching to this suffering, to be able to take the right action and mm -hmm. do something about it. So I think what this touches in me is that when we do indeed attach to suffering, then we get to a paralysis state. Mm -hmm. And it is indeed a mental state that we adopt, mm -hmm. which is what uh, the optionality is around suffering. So thank you very much for, very well. for this enlightening talk. I know what you're talking about, Mark, when you said it feels unnatural to not grieve. And I remember when I lost my seven-year-old daughter to a drowning. And it did, it, it felt, what I discovered by watching my grief was that I was clinging to the grief because it was my only way of hanging on to my daughter. And, and that's why I think we feel it's unnatural because it's a form of clinging that gives us that last little bit of our loved one. And once I let go of that, and what helped me, thank you so much, Panawati, for pointing to the gratitude. What helped me work with letting go of the grief was remembering the wonderfulness of that child and the honor of being her mother for seven years. And then there was a lot of joy around sending her off. So I'm not killing anybody off. I'll just bring a real example. My grandfather died last year. My brother is suffering from the loss of my grandparents. And he said, you've kind of just dealt with this. And I looked at him. I said, you know, the truth is he was miserable towards the end. He is now free from his suffering. When are you going to be free from yours? <laughs> he is free. Look at the other side. 
he is free from all of that. Grams is gone and they're free from all of the suffering that they, isn't that fantastic? Mm-hmm. And, and that was, I had a conversation with this wall that went as far, but <laughs> maybe at some point when he's at a readiness level, he'll realize, you know, grandpa was suffering and it sucked and now he isn't and find the joy and the gratitude in the years we had versus what it is. Mm-hmm. So I forgot my sister died two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what I mean. I mean, like, I mean, she died two weeks ago. I was getting ready to go to India, so I didn't even go to the funeral because she's dead, you know? So I went on to India, and uh, it's, uh, it's a freedom. I mean, some people don't, if you want to be free, I'm just saying. You know, it's a, it's a, it is a freedom. That's the truth of it, that it is a freedom. Yeah. I hit him a supper. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's done well not suffering. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> right view is excellent. But as, as a practitioner, and that's why they call it, as, as practitioners, because we practice. And some things, you know, we're, we're still, we're not, you know, we're not there yet. So when, I, when I'm kind of losing sight and I'm, I'm striving for perfection and I find things bothering me, which lately I've been contemplating the five remembrances. And because I, I've, now it sounds petty and all, but I've dealt with this ear infection for the last week that has made me want to just pull my ear off and dig in there, okay? It's that painful. And, you know, it's like, the first thing that says is like, when is this going away? Why is this happening to me? And I could get into this really grouchy self-pity party of like, I'm tired of this. I just had a three-week cold like three weeks ago. You know, why am I getting sick? And then if you go to the five remembrances, you know, I am of the nature to grow old. You know, for all those people that want to hang on to their youth, get over it. (laughs) Uh, You know, I am of the nature to get sick. Hey, that's what's just happened to me. Now, one day, that illness is going to kill me. Uh, you know, I am of the nature to lose every, I'm of the nature to die. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, a, that's, and, you know, uh, I am of the nature to lose everything that I hold dear. Mm-hmm. And the only true belongings that I have are the consequences of my actions. Mm-hmm. Those are my only true belongings. And, you know, when I think of those things, usually when I'm suffering, it's usually, it's usually revolved around one of, of those five things. <laughs> and so, like, sometimes, you know, when, when right view doesn't come to me right away, the, right, the, the five remembrances seem to set me on the path of where my thinking is faulty. Good. You know, it's like the mustard seed. You know, Good. I can wonder why I'm losing people. But, you know, find me a person who hasn't lost a loved hasn't one. Lost. Oh, yeah. So, I'm done. <laughs> I appreciated the talk today. Thank you. I was going to do some meditation, but we're not going to do that now. But we had a lot of very intelligent and wise conversation and sharing. And that I appreciate so very, very much. So thank you all for your kindness and your sharing. And remember what our commitment is, to look for suffering when it's present. <coughs> And to know that we have the remedy to that suffering and to eliminate it. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.